0: Hi I'm Carolyn and I'm a Lexi slash Izzy.
1: Hi I'm Rebecca and I'm a Moody slash Pearl. I'm Teresa and I'm Just Plain Moody and we're Big Little Podcast here to talk about the final episode of Hulu's Little
0: Fires Everywhere.
1: Carolyn do you want to tell us uh, how this shit show ended?
0: Yeah I'd love to. Uh, All right so here we are episode eight it's called Find a Way final episode and uh after wasting hours of our time I think they named this find a way so that we can uh find a way to feel like this show was worth it and actually it kind of does an okay job with that uh we start off back at that oh we have a flashback which I was getting really concerned with but luckily it just is short-lived and we get right back on track um and the big takeaway from the flashback is that Izzy once tried to save a baby bird. So back to Mayling's trial, Bibi's hot lawyer questions Linda about Mayling's culture and if she is raising her Chinese, which obviously no, she is not, because she doesn't even know fortune cookies don't actually come from China. Uh, the lawyer also presses her as to why she felt the need to change the baby's name if she was perfect the way she was. Linda pretty much falls apart and ha- can't cope or say anything to help herself. But it doesn't matter because her shaky as fuck testimony doesn't keep the judge from letting her keep Mei Ling, resulting in VB sobbing and hysterics on the floor of Mia's house while Mia and Izzy who has shown up at the house? Hold her. It's basically a scene straight out of *Midsummer*. Huh. After BB leaves, Izzy asks if she will ever be okay, and Mia tells her about some pra- prairie fire scorching everything to start over. Because these writers love employing literary tricks like foreshadowing and symbolism. So while Mia is giving life lessons to Izzy, she is still in the shithouse with her own daughter, Pearl. Not only because Pearl now knows her whole life is a lie, but also because Pearl has realized that her bitter mom's newest art project mocks the Richardsons and life in Shaker Heights. Pearl demands that Mia call her dad and tell him what really happened. And Mia, whose face reaches the ultimate in disgust, which is a really impressive feat given Carrie Washington's general face all season, says No. Sassy Pearl now says she is sure Elena would do that for her. The next day, Mia does call the Ryans, but gets chicken shit, clams up, and uh, Madeline Ryan obviously knows exactly uh, who that is, and Mia just hangs up. Meanwhile, Pearl has the Richardson boys all heated up because Moody finally learned that his brother Tripp is fucking his crush. Moody confronts them at the junkyard sex spot and implies that Pearl is a slut, and the brothers start punching each other. Pearl is no slut, as we know, but Elena feels the need to somehow also imply that she's a slut to Mia. She thinks Pearl has had a has had a uh, abortion because when she was using her shitty Nancy Drew reporting skills to investigate BB and see if she'd had an abortion, she sees Pearl's name on the files. And of course, we know, in fact, it's her daughter Lexi using Pearl's name, but that is enough for Elena to go drop this bomb on Mia. Mia is happily able to respond that it was not, in fact, her daughter who had the abortion, but that uh, she, in fact, was the motherly figure of comfort, sort of, to Lexi, the one who had the abortion, and came there all upset because she couldn't go to her own mother. Elena handles this very well, kicks Mia and Pearl out, lease agreement be damned. Pearl comes home, Mia tells her the whole truth about the Ryans, explaining why she felt so determined to help Beebe. Uh, Pearl and Mia have a cry fest. Pearl says she would have chosen her, her being Mia as her mom anyway. Really, Pearl? Really? Mia says, I'm glad you are here and into me again because we have to boogie and leave Shaker Heights. Pearl seems okay with this and they start packing up. There are just truth bombs dropping all over the place. That's the theme of this Wrap It Up episode. And Elena is the one who takes a lot of the hits, learning from her family that nothing is perfect. Lexi had the abortion, stole her essay to get into college. Her husband knows about her flirtations with her ex. And he leaves saying maybe it's time he go gets a pa- goes to get a pacifier too. That was a great line. And Izzy tells them that she and her best friend were actually dating for a year all of this comes to a head with Elena dropping that she never wanted Izzy in the first place. So with all this screaming going on and things getting out, Izzy starts to pour gasoline on the house uh, to light that prairie fire. And, uh, but once she finds out that her mother never wanted her, she takes off, leaves, and the other kids pick up what she, where she left off and burn their house to the ground. So now we're back to that opening scene of being asked who did it, and amazingly, Elena says she did. Then she goes searching for Izzy at Mia's old place where she just finds Mia's Shaker Heights flower model with the cage with Izzy's bird feather in it. She cries. Meanwhile, Bebe has stolen her baby back from the McCullough's and run off into the night. And Pearl and Mia drive to Mia's parents' house to meet them. And this is all done with this like voiceover of a poem that Pearl wrote that undoubtedly will make a better college essay than the one Lexi stole from her. And then the credits roll and we get a look into Mia's art portfolio. And that's it. And this is what we've wasted eight hours of our life on.
1: Oh, Lord. I feel like it's more than eight hours. I feel like some of these ran long. Um,
0: But let's just jump. Exactly. It felt like that. (laughs)
1: Let's just straight. Let's just jump straight to the showdown in the Richardson house. Um, You know, we're sort of I think we're sort of led to be believe in the beginning that izzy's the one who burned the house down but turns out she's not so um my first question is where the hell is this 14 year old going it's not she's not even like yeah. seven she can't even work legally where is she going
2: stressed me out i
0: like and had how this... did she get on that bus she didn't yeah. have money yeah i don't know good question <laughs> did she take money i don't i don't know
1: I mean, those kids probably have some money stashed away somewhere, like their grandma gives them a few hundred dollars here and there for their birthday, but... She had
2: the worst ending. Like, it, it was such a bleak ending. Like, where is a small girl on a bus going to go? Like, I, I kept waiting for the camera to pull out and have there being like a creepy man in a trench coat, like masturbating behind her. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Do not get it's... on a bus late at night by yourself,
0: Izzy. I mean, she's going where all kids go when they run away New York City. Like, she's obviously going to New York City. Yeah, so she's okay, a prostitute now, right?
2: Yeah. yeah like, she, is she yeah. a baby prostitute? In sex like, work
0: yeah <laughs> oh for sure
2: there right. i literally was like does she not know about sex trafficking go home Ugh, it stressed yeah. me out you know pacey, well, she has
0: no home to go to because her siblings burned it down okay so that, and rightfully so you
1: know pacey sort of or pacey has ha- had it up to here with the whole family and he tells her yeah like Girl, just, you got, like, three and a half more years. Just deal with it and then get the hell out of here. And she's like, nope, peacing out now. I'm going to go become, like, a street urchin in 1997 New York City. <laughs> I, I mean, she could have gone and, like, got in line with the people from Rent, I guess, and, like, maybe someone would have taken her in. But other than that, like, I have no idea where she
2: thinks she's going. yeah. i I don't i don't have i'm just it it really gave me a lot of anxiety
1: so yeah this whole damn family turns on elena at the drop of a hat like yeah it was satisfying it
0: it was great it was so good the best moment in the show honestly
1: it really felt unearned to me like especially trip and moody like they have expressed no I mean they're just like yeah whatever she's nuts we just don't pay attention to her and keep on going but now they're burning the house down.
2: I guess they were trying to say their motive was that Elena drove away Pearl and they both love Pearl so much but I'm like really is that enough to burn down your house and none of them wanted to like get any of their stuff out either I'm like isn't there something you want out of your room before you burn it down? It's Yeah so
0: I felt like their turning point was the fact that she would have said right to Izzy's face I never wanted you and then Mm -hmm. that this caused Izzy to leave, that was, to me, I think, the instigator for them to be like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this. Fuck her. Let's just, let's just destroy this. Uh, It did seem a little bit rash. I mean, they could (laughs) have acted out in some other way, but, uh, and yes, maybe taken a couple of their things, (laughs) but like, before we burn this down, I'd like to, you know, grab I, I don't even know what they'd feel that they needed out of that. Puka
2: shell necklace, the baby G's, all sorts of important '90s things.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They, I'm sure. It seems like they could have like,
1: they they could have just like burned her Lexus or something, and like she'd be pissed, and you know she'd be really put out. But like they'd still have a home.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're
2: gonna do a book club episode, so I don't want to go too far into this. Yeah. But this is a, a serious departure from the book. And Mm -hmm. I was very interested how this was going to be translated because it was hard for me actually to visualize what happened in the book. Like, I I was confused. And it's, I think, intentionally written that way to be kind of murky. Whereas Mm -hmm. this was like, they went out with a literal bang and it's very obvious what happens. And it's very much a departure, but... I agree with you teresa that i think that with lexi and izzy that felt earned like izzy in particular Mm -hmm. being just fed up and i think you know lexi's reaction to hearing her mother say i never wanted you to begin with after having had the abortion herself that made perfect sense to Mm me moody i could even get behind because he's kind of been like the lost puppy that no one's paying that much attention to and he did have that conversation with elena earlier where she was just being like so rude to him and uh, you know being like what is going on with you trip mm-hmm. i just don't see trip getting involved in this like trip would be the one be like this is a bad idea and the fact that he got on board next after lexi mm-hmm. just didn't feel earned at all
1: yeah I, like he would just be like no nah, man i'm gonna go like this go find my call. buddies and like drink some some beer or something like it, it yeah it didn't make any sense the fight with elena and izzy you know like at some point she tell after izzy starts dumping um gasoline everywhere which by the way this family has a lot of gasoline for people who live in a well-to-do suburb they're
2: like preppers with the gasoline but also she only brought one can out of the garage and they were pouring way more than one can's worth of gasoline yeah continuity issues
1: she said elena says to izzy like you need professional help and i've been saying since like the first couple of episodes that this show has turned izzy into like someone with severe mental health issues instead of just a girl who's fighting with her mother. Like, when she burned her own hair off and was, yeah. like, setting fire <laughs> to random things all the time. Like, so I was kind of like, yeah, she probably does need professional help, but that's your job to get it for her. You probably should have did it after she burned off her hair, yeah. You monster.
2: Like, it's too late for this now. She's got the <laughs> gas can in her hand. You can't be worried about this now. Uh, Yeah. But I do, I, I did find that confrontation between the two of them very emotional. I I don't know if it's just because I'm about to get my period or what, but I was feeling like very raw in that moment with the two of them confronting each other and that, you know, especially Lexi's too, like confronting a parent that has all these expectations for you and, and really pushing back and that, I, I don't know, I thought that was pretty powerful and the kids just crushed it. I mean the acting was great.
0: Yes, the kids acting was great. But can we talk about some acting moments that were concerningly not great in this? Sure, cuz there's Na- plenty. Namely, <laughs> well, so I'm going after Carrie Washington again because surprise, okay, that scene surprise with Mia and Elena when Elena comes to mm-hmm. tell to like, you know, drop, "Oh, your daughter had an abortion and mm-hmm. I'm kicking you out." Uh, what the hell was Carrie Washington's line delivery?
1: I- I I, again it comes down to both her delivery and the writing because in this scene they finally use one of the lines I've been talking about for this whole show which is the one about like you can't fathom that someone would choose a different life than yours and I'm just like this makes literally no sense in the context of this scene it comes out of nowhere it is not like it makes no sense and yeah and it's delivered by Kerry Washington who's just like instead of kind of being sort of like I don't know what I would want her to be. Almost like nonchalant in that moment. She's just, you know, angry again.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of like tremulous emoting she does, whether it's sad Mm -hmm. or angry. It's a lot of lip quivering and whether that's mean lip quivering or emotional lip lip quivering. And I think it, you know, these child actors, we go back to this again and again, I think are kind of putting the adult actors to shame. So in the scenes with Lexi Mm -hmm. Richardson, Lexi Richardson is leaving it all out there. It's it's so raw. It's so believable, and I think by comparison, it makes it Carrie Washington's performance less believable.
0: Yeah, Carrie Washington it, it just the line delivery, specifically in that scene, there were like like haltered speech, like pauses that had no. They, they were like not organic at all. It was like almost like she was trying to like remember her lines or mm-hmm. something like or reading them off a teleprompter. It was so bizarre to me um, that I, I just I don't understand what her approach to this character was from the faces to the performance. I am so, so confused. Um, but yes, the children just consistently killed it.
1: I also think Reese Witherspoon killed it in this episode. There is, like, one, the scene where she's, like, going back into her bedroom and she just screams at the kids. I was like, yeah. she looks like a straight-up, like, Game of Thrones Crazy. dragon. Yeah, yeah, she looks unhinged. Yeah. And then when she's sitting in the back of the ambulance, just kind of staring into space, I'm like, this is yep. f- this is good face acting. You yep. know? Like, this is, like, actual emotion on a face that... I can understand that isn't just one note sneering for eight episodes.
2: I think there's been a lot of overacting. And this was like a moment when Reese Witherspoon really pulled back. And I think that's been my Mm -hmm. problem with her this whole time is it's felt really... Like, I, what I loved about Madeline McKenzie is that she felt so nuanced, and she you mm-hmm. had an understanding of who she was, but then each episode there'd be more depth there, more interest, and I thought this whole performance, until this scene, was very one note. It's just like Elena is a busybody, and she wants to have her kids Oh, all be she perfect. did have that
0: super villain note in yeah. the last episode. But to
2: now <laughs> see her, like, really acting like a real person that has changed and, and gone through something that has completely changed the fabric of their life, like, it, it felt very true to how somebody would react in that moment it was definitely a, a nice surprise and a good high note for Reese Witherspoon to go out on for sure
0: yeah this was the only episode I agree that uh I really feel that Reese Witherspoon like gave a performance that was mm. uh commanding and interesting and and deep um uh, unfortunately for Carrie Washington that moment never really arrived for her in this series and as we keep talking about, it was really the kids that carried this this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Joshua Jackson just was like a uh, wet paper towel this whole series for me. Uh, at least in this episode, he did get, and he delivered it well, the line where he says he's going to go out. It's time for him to go out and go get his own pacifier. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that because I was like, oh, finally, he's going to like, you know grow a fucking dick and stand up to this bitch so uh and it and it because honestly like he could have been played by a cardboard cutout this whole series well i think with like lines talking and i
1: think that's in part like that's the way that character is written he's like just elena's background right like he's just the guy that's along for the ride with this kind of I mean, he's a bit of an Ed, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm right. Just...
0: Well, yes and no, but that's the thing. Like, he could have at least played, I feel like he was, he just kind of underplayed this this whole time. Because we talked underrated. a lot
2: about Ed and, you know, Ed was annoying yeah. and all this stuff, but like Bill has just not been very memorable. The fact that we've called him Pacey for the whole show goes to show <laughs> that his character hasn't made much of an impression on us.
0: No. And I have and, to and say, honestly... go ahead. I was just going to say, like, it literally could have been any actor. And that's why, I mean, actually, even better, just a cardboard cutout of somebody. Like, it did not, it was partially due to the writing, but it was actually, I think, more his performance was just very, like, understated. Because he was supposed to have this, like, he was the one person who had this connection with Izzy in that household. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, implied. Like, we learned it because they say it and he says it. But it wasn't, I didn't feel it. I didn't see it. There was no... I, I don't know. Oh, this is d- not.
1: I I don't. I, I think I don't agree with you guys about this. I think when he's given something in the show, I I get it. Like when he when he's the one who notices is he flipping the finger in the photo or something. Yeah, and he kind that of was giggle. a great
2: scene.
1: Or yeah. like when he yells at the kids for you know calling her Ellen at the table or whatever. You know, I think he is like. I think the character is understand. I mean, I don't think he was given as much to work with as the Ed character in um, Big Little Big Little Lies. But when he is given something, I think he does well with it. He's just, you know, there's not. So a I have, yeah, I, I have a bill. I'm question. very
0: open. Well, I was- let me just say that I am very open to seeing more of Joshua Jackson, <laughs> uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just feel like this was not. This wasn't his best work. This was no pacey performance. This was no Mighty Ducks. Um, yeah.
2: What were we gonna say, Rebecca? So, Mike, I have a question. Mm-hmm. In the opening, uh, the first courtroom scene, when um, BB's lawyer is cross-examining Mrs. McCullough, did mm-hmm. you feel like he was just a bad lawyer, or that was intentional—that he was not objecting and he was kind of like I, I mm-hmm. like, couldn't figure out—is—is. Is,
0: he I thought that was intentional. Out. I thought he was mm-hmm. trying to, like, give her... Or We're talking about Bill, right? Yeah. yeah. And
2: so when he objects, when... And I honestly thought some of the questions that lawyer was, was asking that you could have absolutely objected to and would have been sustained. Like, they were... There was a lot of irrelevant questions that I think, you know, if you were on it. And he just, like, for the one objection... He st- like covers, struggled to come up with a reason. He just seemed, like, very disconnected. And I wondered if that was just they're trying to say, like, Bill's not a great lawyer, or is that Bill's allegiance has changed and he's kind of, like, you know, throwing the game.
0: The latter. That's what mm-hmm. I thought. I thought that this was an intentional... Bill has just decided to kind of, like, back down from this. Like, he, he sort of knows that the judge... Like, he had already said, like, people like B.B. don't win. Yeah. So he wasn't putting out his A game. And there was a part of him that felt you know that this was I I, I do think but it like, was a
2: brutal cross-examination like he, that lawyer ended oh, Mrs. McCullough I loved it <laughs>
0: oh I love that lawyer yeah he's Ooh, hot, he is he's so dark. hot Ugh. oh my god hot who lawyer who is he yeah we gotta yeah, find him out he, Oof. he was yummy I, I know I felt um, the same way I
1: think also not to like you know squelch you thirsty ladies but um <laughs> please squelch <laughs> away
2: <laughs> it's an awful <laughs> he, awful word to use yeah <laughs>
1: he um like in the scene afterwards when they're on the courthouse steps and he's sort of trying to say something and and linda butts in i think you get the sense that he's um yeah oh the reporter is asked like are you going to allow her visitation kind of thing and he's trying to say oh yeah maybe we'll consider it and and yeah Uh, Linda McCullough is basically like oh hell no like I think that's the thing that's supposed to confirm that he actually is doesn't necessarily believe he's on the right side of this anymore Um, and that he knows still a bad
2: lawyer though for doing that you might think that like plenty of people defend murderers and they know they did it but that's not your job right bad lawyer so he can be both I guess (laughs)
1: But I also think hes he knows that he's going to win and he can let this play out the way it's going to play
2: out and let
1: maybe... I didn't may- feel that
2: way in that moment. I know no? they, they set it up that way, but I thought that it was a pretty devastating cross and BB was coming out of that one looking like the winner. Interesting. I mean, the fortune, cooking, the fortune cookie thing was like, ooh. And the judge, you know, they set the judge up to seem like the judge was not on her side. -hmm. And again, we we gotta wait for the book club episodes. But obviously, like there's differences that happened here too, Mm -hmm. and like so we might as well talk about it at this point. Then, so Bibi steals the BB, the Bebe, (laughs) and drives off into the Bibi's Bebe has been stolen back by BB. and she we see her in a parking lot somewhere. Like, does she really think she's gonna get away with this? Like, well, so Brian said, I was like, where
1: is she? And Brian said, Niagara Niagara Falls, Falls.
2: Canada, right?
1: and i was like so i was like she's not the only one on uh you know izzy's not the only one on a nonsensical road trip like where does bb who i think we're led to believe is an undocumented immigrant um how is she getting into canada with a baby and no passport like
0: so in the 90s didn't you like not necessarily need a passport and she would have a Chinese passport mm-hmm. so they wouldn't really care what oh, happened maybe. in America with her and I don't even know I think you could do it with like a driver's license back then well, I don't you I,
1: could you could and, and until so I reason, kind
0: actually. of but I kind of think she will get away with this um, and unfortunately for the McCullough's like I think that she she is gonna be able to take that baby and run and uh, I don't think they're going to bother to like extradite her. I don't know. I
2: feel like they will do that. Linda hell is cray cray.
0: I mean, if they can find her, they're not going to do a season two of this, right? Can you imagine? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Finding Isabel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, finding Izzy and May Lang. (laughs) Oh, help us!
2: So, when I was a
1: teenager, uh, my one of my good friends she's French Canadian. Her parents would go, go up there all the time. And she and I were driving up. I was like 16 at the time. And we were driving up with her boyfriend who was, I think 21. It was a creep show. Um, but (laughs) we got stopped at the border for like hours. They called our parents to make sure we were actually supposed to be with him. Like they were very thorough and you know, this is, it was probably actually literally 1997 because I was like 16 years old. So, Um, so yes, she probably does have a passport, but I feel like you're traveling with a baby who you may or may not have documents to prove you're, you know, the parent of, and like, I feel like even, even now, if you, um, say you're, even if you're a couple, but you're a woman who chooses not to change her last name and you travel with your children, I think you some huge problem. Yeah, you have to have like notes saying that um, they're your children and that y- you right. Allowed but to I don't think
0: in 1997 you needed to do that.
1: Oh yeah, I, yeah, you did because I traveled with my grandparents a lot, and I usually oh. I often like they often had notes from like my mom saying I was allowed to travel with them.
0: Huh, well, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I, I kind of thought, like, it used to be a lot easier to just run to Canada.
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> it definitely was a lot easier than it is now, but I'm still not sure, like, when you're fleeing with a baby and you're you and in a car yeah. that I have no idea where it came from because when did B.B. get a car? Like, what, I, I don't know. Pearl was, or Mia was driving her around before this, so I don't know where that yeah, car Yeah, I
0: wasn't go. even aware she could drive up until that moment. No. It
1: was very strange. <laughs> Uh, Like um, So there's also Let's talk about this bird metaphor thing That's happening in this whole thing Do we have to? Mm.
0: Do we have to?
1: (laughs) I mean we've talked a lot about continuity And things that don't make sense all the time in the show But this is one of the things that irked me the most Was this opening scene So this bird she finds is clearly a cardinal Right? It's a fully read adult cardinal We are then told that it's a baby bird
2: oh yeah I listen I'm right there with you yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) and then the ornithologist
2: in me was screaming
1: (laughs) 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 and I was like is this bad writing is it bad cgi like the cgi people didn't know like and I'm also and moody young baby moody tells her like this whole thing about the Baby bird being thrown out of the nest and the parent rejecting it. I was like, well, that's not actually true
2: either. Like, I was just like, yeah. I really hate They only did about that because scene. they wanted that line. That's the only right. reason. They, they wanted, the, wanted the line of exactly and- the baby. Mm-hmm. If it's been touched by another mother, the other mother's going to reject it. And so we have to create <laughs> yeah. a bird metaphor. And I guess I, the only thing that I thought was somewhat showed that it was more thoughtful than just like we need a symbol for this episode is that, you know, Feather did come up. A couple episodes before when Mia took it out Mm -hmm. of Izzy's bedroom. So clearly Izzy's held on to it. And we're supposed to feel like that's earned because it appeared in one other episode. But Mm -hmm. no, it was a bad metaphor. It hurt my heart.
1: Speaking of bad metaphors, let's talk about this art that Mia's making. Art. Um, So I don't know exactly what happened to all the stuff that Pearl saw originally, like the burning picture of elena and like the pictures of her volume bottle and all this other stuff which first of all like if she ever displayed this like the richardsons would have such a case against her like for invasion oh, yeah. of privacy oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> but bill is a bad lawyer as we've established so don't think it would really make much of a difference
1: but then when we finally see this weird model of shaker that she's made i'm like i oh, don't what like it was so I don't know. It really felt Not like good. a let down when I saw it.
0: All I could think of looking at it was like in Beetlejuice when he built, mm-hmm. he has that like model in his mm-hmm. attic that like now living in this like purgatory where he's trapped in his house. That's like what he does is build the model of that little town. Yep. Um, That's what this made me think of. I was like, oh, that's like the Beetlejuice model of the town. Why? I I <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. And covering it in flour like the snow, and but is there some other thing with the flour? I don't think white it was
2: privilege. Snow. Yeah, it's white privilege flour.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, see, I was like so fucking checked out and being like, "What the hell is this?" I didn't even bother to put together that she was like covering it in like white. Have you met Mia? Like, whitewashing the town yeah this is her I don't dream really art project want to meet her and <laughs> deal with her anymore <laughs> so and then at the end in the credits with all of her art like so bad I
1: was, so bad most of it
0: the framing right? of the pictures i'm like you're trying
2: to pass this woman off as a professional photographer and these pictures are framed terribly like it, yeah. it, was, it
0: reminded me of like flipping through a shitty high school portfolio
1: yeah, it's like, like I took a picture in black and white. A high so school artist
0: who's not talented. Yeah, yeah, it was Ugh. bad.
1: But so let's talk about the bird cage for a minute because that is something that sort of comes from the book. We'll get into how it differs in the book club episode. But this metaphor of the bird cage and who am I—the cage or am I the bird—comes yeah. up in this, and mm-hmm. I think I was even less clear. At the end of this show than i was at the end of the book about first of all who who's the cage who's the bird is it izzy is is izzy the bird that's in this cage and is and is elena the cage like cage but then elena's the only one who sees it but then she actually said i think the i think it's the last line of the show she takes out this feather and looks at it and is like Izzy and actually says Izzy, not Isabel. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is
2: what? Like, they're trying to beat me over the head with it. And I still don't get it. But I do think that, like, you know, whatever Mia's intention was, this was like a project about like white you know, suppression and and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff and that Mia's listening to the thing on Shaker and she's clearly made this intentionally to be a comment on race. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. make a ton of sense that the person in the cage would then be (laughs) Izzy versus them as the black people in town that would be in the cage. And then Elena going in there and viewing this, you know, racial project and immediately assuming it's about her white daughter did make me chuckle. I'm like, this is white women. Well, and
0: also, yeah, because I assumed that it was about uh Pearl and Mia be with the bird in the cage like I didn't I just didn't think of it in terms of you know I since that was just how I interpreted it Mm -hmm. especially with like Pearl uh you know writing that whole Pearl was the one who wrote the poem so I assumed that it kind of went hand in hand with what she saw with her mother's art project
1: yeah I mean I I assume that poem was inspired by the art project too and I mean I think the poetry is probably better than the art. What do you think? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I was thinking, like, are they going to go into business together and, you know, she's going to really elevate me as oh, art God. by actually providing, like, literary context for it? Ugh.
0: <sighs> oh, let's hope not. Pearl deserves
2: much better. Yeah, Pearl, better. you deserve much better, Queen. Go to college. Get an MFA.
0: I was actually shocked that when Pearl, like, they had this, like, tearful moment and Pearl's like, I would have chosen yeah. you as my mom. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is that i mean i know like teenage girls like you know you're hormonal like you you fight with your mom like there are all these like you're you're feeling one way one second and another the other but like come on this was just so not in line with everything we have grown to know and respect about pearl like she i couldn't believe that she was just like oh no i accept the, like i accept you and like oh yeah we got to go like that's okay i just want to remember this as it was and I I don't know. To me, that felt It didn't bother really... me as
2: much because, you know, that is her mother. But what bothered me was that she lost such interest so quickly in meeting her birth dad. Like, that seemed like it yeah. was something that was really, really important to her. And then she has, in one scene, and then in the next scene, and she's telling Mia, giving her an ultimatum, you need to call him and… I want yeah. you to tell him. And then Mia hangs up the phone and then she just is like, okay, all is forgiven. I don't want to meet them anymore. I would rather meet your parents. And that to me was where I was confused. I'm like, so now you don't want any – you wanted this relationship with your dad your whole life. You were rightfully so mad that your father who wanted you so much that he was willing to, you know, have a surrogate carry his baby and then you told him I died. Like, that's – admittedly, when she said that, I was like, yeah, bury her, Pearl. Like, this is a crazy, crazy <laughs> thing to do to someone. And then for her, yeah. like two scenes later, be like, "Ah, uh, you're my mom. You're the only one for me." Was
0: confusing. I was very confused by that. Um, so we are writing. Yeah, the only thing that I actually would have maybe been more interested in is like her, them, her meeting the grandparents at the very least. Like I, I, I think that that would have been a much more interesting situation.
1: Well, especially since. Um, Mia just, like, lets her go do it on her own. She's like, no support I know. Yeah. here. I'm Classic Mia.
0: Although it seems that Mia's gonna go in, because she does get out of the car then.
2: I think she was just getting out, smoke a joint, and get back in the car. <laughs>
0: Fair. Yeah.
1: So we also learn during this fight scene that, you know, um, Mia sort of justifies having paid BB's legal fees as, like, sort of proving to herself that she did the right thing. Yeah. Which is, mm-hmm. like, bitch, like, no. Like, there you stole a baby from like like even if like take the other mother out of the equation right like this poor woman who was so desperately trying to have a baby and couldn't like she still had a father who wanted her and
2: you took her away from like this is not the same no no it sure is not And I thought that comparison was, again, Mm -hmm. uh, bad writing. Like, I think this has been my biggest problem with this whole show, is that there are great performances. I think there's been some really interesting conversations that they've come close to really engaging with, but have fallen Mm -hmm. short. And it's the writing that's letting it down. And it's a bummer, because I thought the book was really well-written. And the lines that are pulled right from the book are the ones Mm -hmm. that feel the most authentic to the characters. You know, the book had none of this, like, ridiculous metaphor stuff and the flip-flopping of of people. You know, the the characters were constant in the books, and you learned more about them, but they maintained the same core values, the same principles, the same feel, and I feel like the character growth for a lot of these characters was unearned and confusing.
0: At this point, I'm actually just genuinely excited for our upcoming book club episode Mm -hmm. and to read this book finally, Uh, because, I mean, the book has to be better than this show. I I just know it is from the way you guys talk about things I've heard about it. And also, like, if anything was like this show, it would have never progressed (laughs) anywhere else. Uh, So um, I, I am excited for that and to kind of get a different understanding and angle on all of this. Because everything, everything in the show just kind of made me... (laughs) Mad. I was really pushing hard to like, I went into this concern from the beginning. And then all throughout, I I was really trying to like find redeeming qualities or get into it. And it was like a chore for me to watch this show. Like, I had to bribe myself most of the time.
1: Like, I'm going to eat a block of cheese and drink a bottle of wine, and that'll make it worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I can eat all the rest of the Cadbury mini eggs. Mm And have wine if I watch this show right now. You're lucky I and did not know
1: you had Cadbury mini eggs still in stock because I yeah. probably would have murdered you uh, for those by what? now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Share with your podcast yeah. friends. Hello. Well, they're gone now because well, I had to watch this show. Well, thanks a lot, <laughs> Carolyn. Why'd
2: you even bring it up then?
1: Well, I tortured myself a little bit extra this week and watched some of the extras, oh. like the after oh. the show thing. And so, and they were talking, so they talk a little bit about Elena's confession that she's the one who burned this house down. Oh, yeah. They talk oh. about it as sort of a tiger mom move, like protecting her children. But they also, oh, but they also talk about it as like, again, a metaphor for her saying like, yes, I set this all in motion. I burned yeah, this house yeah. down.
2: Which is like... Because that would have been clear without Pacey saying to her earlier, you don't take responsibility for anything. So, of course, Mm -hmm. she was then going to take responsibility in the end. (sighs) Bothered me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm bothered. I'm bothered by it. I'm feeling now more and more emotionally manipulated that I cried watching it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which, so you said you cried a couple of times,
1: uh, we already yeah. know one, what were the other times that it got to you? Um,
2: the only other time was I thought at the end when Elena was sitting there, even though like the context of her, like what she was saying and what she was doing undermined the moment for me before that, when she's just sitting there staring off into space and coming to terms with everything she was going through like that, I squeezed a couple tears out for that. I thought it was mm-hmm. mostly Reese Witherspoon's face acting was great, but it, it little, little got me in the feels a little bit. And I think I got a a little misty when uh, Pearl was destroying Mia, mostly Mm -hmm. because I was just happy for Pearl to finally be, like, confronting all of this bullshit that her mother has put her through. Like, I I had, like, a sympathetic, like, yeah, queen, like, get it. Go for the jugular.
0: (laughs) Yeah, nothing in this show ever made me properly feel anything other than that, like, healthy amount of rage I felt for watching it. Um, I just was not – nothing – super uh, press those buttons that would get me tearing up. Well, I'm either getting my Uh, period
2: or quarantine has broke me. One or the other. I'll let you (laughs) know next week. I mean, I did cry. I
0: cried at that Macy's commercial that's on TV right now. So... I don't know if anyone has seen the Macy's commercial. They do this beautiful thing about how every year they come together with the parade, but this year they're doing it early and they show like New Yorkers like out cheering on their balconies for first responders. Yeah. It, it, it's, it was a real, it was a real tearjerker moment for me. Uh, so that's what, that's what I used my emotions for this week, apparently. Uh, and not this show. I guess I I do. I, I agree with you a hundred percent though, Rebecca, like, Reese Witherspoon's moments in this were very, very well-performed. Yeah, she got it, And me. very, it was very real. Congrats, I Reese. Just, you got me to cry. He, that that could not, those, like, few uh, moments uh, could not save this show and characters that I didn't get invested in, unfortunately.
1: So it's, I think it's time to give our final verdict for, like, the worst parent in Shaker Heights. Um at the end of all of this, uh, Carolyn, who do you think the worst parent is?
0: Uh, I, I really think that it is um, Elena. Okay. For sure. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She told one of her kids she never wanted yeah. her. She was, like, screaming like a crazy person. She had that, like, super villain moment out in a car. Uh, she just did too little too late, like, with her whole family. She, like, you know, had that nice sap of a husband who was there for her, mm-hmm. and she fucked that up she's just a train wreck she really like was so fixated on being perfect and like living this life that she never took time to even like truly care about like any of her kids Mm -hmm. the fact that like she's screaming at her daughter like yes you are perfect i was like oh this is fucking like serial killer shit so (laughs) elena worst parent by far
2: rebecca so i'm actually going to speak on behalf of our fans out there because we read a little mm-hmm. poll on instagram this week over okay. a bunch of different things but who is the worst mother overall was one of them on there and overwhelmingly the responses were mia we had 70 percent responded wow. that mia oh. was the worst and uh was this few...
1: before or after the richardson it children was before, burned their own home down okay
2: and we're gonna run it again To see if anyone has felt differently after it. But just that was for everything but the last episode. So as of uh, episodes one through seven. I feel
0: like up until this episode, you could have swung me to go either way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with proper discussion. I And and Mia definitely, like, you know, I've been no fan of Mia and she... The whole, like, lying to her kid about her whole life thing. (laughs) That's not great. But I think this last episode cemented Elena as that trophy winner of sure. her worst mom. But
2: did did Mia actually do anything redemptive? No. Like Elena at least, you know, she took the fall for the kids. Like you get the sense at the end that she's come to some sort of reckoning and is hopefully gonna try and fix the relationships with her children. Like that's how I was left with it. Whereas Mia, I feel like she's gonna continue her bullshit. Like I don't I feel like Mia has quelled Pearl's concerns. She's more justified than ever. She's more vindicated by her behavior. Like, I don't think that there's as much potential for that character to change and grow and evolve as there is with Yeah, Elena. and in
0: fact, sadly, I feel like she's like lured Pearl into this life of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, Pearl very willingly packed up her four walls painted room mm-hmm. and just like, you know, was like, fuck this, fuck Moody, fuck Trip, fuck it all. And it that to me, like, it felt like she just kind of like ...is becoming her mother. And
2: Mio, I thought, was pretty manipulative with the do you want to come in and watch me shoot thing? Like, this is the thing you can't do, and now I'm going to let you into my private space because you've earned it. You've proved yourself to me that you're not like these Richardsons. You really are like me. So now you yeah. can come in and watch me shoot. And then she kind of gives it back to her. And I thought that scene at the end where she gave uh, Mia her notebook and asked her to read it, that was heartbreaking. Because it's clear mm-hmm. Mia has taken no interest in Pearl's writing up until this point. And the writing that she does take interest in is about an art project she did. So like that yeah. artistic egoism that Mia is showing, it's, it's just, it's hard for me to swallow because Pearl is such a wonderful you know, vibrant, intellectual, interesting person. And Mia has just got such a narrow view of what's cool, what's acceptable. And if her daughter isn't conformed yeah. to that, she just doesn't have any time for her.
0: I mean, essentially both, like, Mia and Elena are a pair of mummy dearest. You know, mm-hmm. like, they're both, it's both bad. Um,
1: I, I mean, so, I'm going to be the tiebreaker here, and I'm going to vote for Elena because, and here's my reasoning. Yeah, if, you are. If four, four or 3 out of your 4 children are arsonists and the other one is on a bus <laughs> to like to you, you know, live on un- live under a bridge and become a sex worker like at 14 years old like you've failed as a parent and there is no coming back from this shit <laughs> like at least I mean, pearl is, true. is like pearl is going to be fine she will get away from Mia at some point and you know go you know live a impoverished life as a poet
2: somewhere I also still kind of just really dislike Linda McCullough. I find her, like, entitlement to this child and her casual racism was just so offensive this episode. And she's so, like, whiny and doesn't seem like a stable person. Like, for all of her talk of wanting to be a good mother and take care of this baby, I'm like, this does not seem like the best person for this baby to be with. She's obsessed with the kid in this, like, very unhealthy way and is also very uh, dismissive of race. And I think that's a huge, huge problem for a lot of people that, you know, go through this is if you are Mm going to, I think you're seeing less of this, but I remember in high school, every one of the Asian students that were adopted had English names. Versus the students that had come from their home countries would sometimes adopt an English name. For the most part, use their own names. I'm like, it really does suck that there is that trend in America where you're like, well, if this baby is being raised in a white household, it better have a name that sounds white too. And what's whiter than Mirabelle? It just it was so gross that whole thing. And Yeah. I I mean,
1: Mirabelle is like not a name for anyone. First of all, (laughs) that's no. What? That's not a name. That's bizarre. Um, It also doesn't sound like a name that sort of like upper crust white people in the late 90s would give a kid. It sounds like. At best, it's a
2: stripper name. Like I thought they were going to say it was like, going on there. we gave it to her because it was my mother's name and we wanted her to be connected to our family. I'm like, okay, I could buy yeah. that. But she didn't go there. She's just like, no, we wanted her to have a, a name, an American mm-hmm. name. So
0: silly. I thought that the casting for the actress who played Linda was a real, was great really, really well done. I thought she did a great job. As, uh, I, she I've was never excellent. I've really seen her in in anything else the, that I can think of? She was in Mad
1: Men. She was in. Um, I'm trying to think of what. It's Rosemary DeWitt. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She was um, in Mad Men.
0: Yeah, now that you say that, I do. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, oh yeah. But she did a great job because she was unlikable. Like, I mean, and in a way that, you know, she just. She was able to kind of toe this line where you. You felt like this lack of, uh, I, I I think we weren't supposed to necessarily ever want to fully side with her uh, or feel any sympathy. I think she did a great job creating an interesting character. Oh, yeah. uh, I you, think um, she did
1: too. And I think because even though I don't think you're ever meant to fully side with her, I think you're supposed to understand, like, you're also not supposed to fully side with BB, right? Like, she yeah. is right because linda mccullough for all her casual racism which is really just sort of a product of you know the 90s um like you understand where she's coming from this is a woman who has lost child after child and she now she's finally got one and has been raising her and loving her for a year and it's now it's being taken away from her again like You'd be unhinged too, like you know True. what I mean. Like there is no that is like I probably would have ran to Canada long before BB did if I was <sighs> in that situation, you know. Right,
0: and what I thought was so interesting with that actress's portrayal of becoming unhinged is she never pushed it too far, right? Like she was unhinged but still reserved. I just thought that 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 role and that part of the show was handled very well for me. Um, in a show where everything else tended to kind of go off the rails Mm -hmm. quickly and in crazy ways that I just, you know, like I said in the last, in our last podcast where I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen in this next episode because this show just keeps like taking me on these like crazy trips that I didn't need. Like, what's that? They're having sex in the brother's, like, little stupid hideaway van now? Like, I mean, it was just, like, every time I turned around, the show was doing something, like, completely wild that I couldn't accept. I was like, no, you're fucking me. But uh, the the character of Linda McCullough was, like, hand, she did a very good job. And I think the writing around that that scenario I don't think it was like necessarily any better than anything else in the show I just think it's like what she brought to it mm-hmm. that made her it was that was interesting to me yeah uh, and that I cared a little bit more just because uh, she she it was it was done well I
1: think the writing around that character is a little bit better because they take so few liberties with that particular storyline yeah. mm-hmm. um, so it it feels more more coherent and straight from the book than some of the other stuff does mm-hmm. um but i agree i lo- i rose rosemary duet i think like i think i said early on in this podcast that i would have liked to see her play elena because i yeah. think uh, would have been a great choice yeah yeah so let's talk about 90s spotting for a minute i think we're there um there wasn't that much in this episode no. that felt all that 90s about no it was too much ooh.
2: stuff i was focused on other than the 90s
1: yeah, and the, and the one thing I could like think back and be like, "Oh yeah," was the giant computer computer monitor in the abortion clinic that. Um, oh yeah, uh-huh. that Elena then like, oh that scene, you know too. invades
2: all sorts of hippol. Oh laws. my god! Oh my god! That was awful. Yeah, and then she's like, "Are you saying yeah, that, that was... I should do this for you because you owe me?" I was like, "Drag <laughs> her! That woman was great. I don't know who uh-huh. she was, but we need more of her all season."
0: Yeah. Agreed. She cut right through um, the bullshit. Yeah, I had nothing particularly like '90s that jumped out to me in this episode.
1: Yeah, it, 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 and it feels like a little bit of a letdown because this is a dramatic episode. There should have been a lot of music, like, and it, like, I can. Uh, the only song I can even remember is not a '90s song.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, I just pulled it up. There was only two songs in this episode and one was spirit in the sky um and that is not a 90s song and um build it up by ingrid michelson which is not a 90s song yeah, it felt yeah. like
1: someone really dropped the ball on setting the 90s mood in this last episode. It was weird.
2: I think, in general, I've been kind of disappointed with the music and the sonic choices. I, I think that the mm-hmm. sound sometimes of this show has been weird. Like, in the beginning of the episode, it sounded like there was actually, like, monitor, like, like Elena was... Her Feedback were or something? Te- yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, like, in the beginning when Elena was talking, like, it just kept going in and out. And the music hasn't been great and i think we were so so spoiled with big little lies where the music was mm-hmm. utilized into such a fantastic way that it almost became its own character it, it just it's been kind of a letdown for me with all that potential and there's so much great 90s music out there and they just barely scratch the surface and a lot of the ones they did were kind of you know the expected 90s hits i wanted yeah, them it was really like deep a, and weird
1: alanis morissette uh-huh. over and over again yeah and then like "Chumbawamba." <laughs> and then every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, we have to throw a hip hop song in here. Like, it, yeah, it, it was weird. That brings us to the um, high and low portion of this episode. Who wants right. to go first?
2: I'll go first. Okay. So my lowbrow, uh, also on Hulu, for all of you who still have your Hulu subscriptions after this show has ended. <laughs> I have been going back into ER Especially the early seasons <laughs> with Clooney and Juliana Margulies. And let me tell you, this mm-hmm. show holds up.
0: I forgot yeah, how
2: bright the hospital is, how uncompromising it is. You know, none of this like sexy blue light that you get on House or Grey's Anatomy, where everything's kind of like bathed in like a sheen. This is as gross and as visceral <laughs> and ill lit. And it is a great, great show. There is, like, you know, your requisite soapy drama. But it really it, it focuses on the patients first. The acting is superb. Literally every famous actor in the history of the world is on this show. Like, mm-hmm. just casually, like, some, you know, you'll see just William H. Macy for a season or two. And you're like, oh, that's William H. Macy. The last episode mm-hmm. I watched, baby Anton Yelchin was in there couple before baby kirsten dunst i remember
0: that episode yep. yeah so it's i was a big er fan george great. clooney really like roped me yep. in and those yep, early I, seasons are awesome
1: i went down the went down the er rabbit hole again on hulu about a year and a half ago and i got into some pretty late seasons actually and you know like rosemary clooney shows up yeah. and i, I mean mm-hmm. it's it really is a great show. And boy, Alan Alda like, has an arc. Like, it, it's everyone famous. Yeah. And Red the, yeah. Buttons. Mm-hmm. And like, like, so many. Red Buttons. So many like old school actors, and so many people that you then go on to be like, oh, that's so and so. Like, Rory from the Gilmore Girls is on there for a little while. Um,.
0: Mariska Haggerty was a nurse.
1: She was the receptionist
2: that dates Dr. Green. And it was like super crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many famous people in it. And it's just really, really well done. So if you haven't had the pleasure of ER, this is the time, especially with the coronavirus going on. They have like Mm -hmm. a couple plague episodes. They just had one that was like the flu, and it was giving me all sorts of anxiety. Um, My highbrow is I texted Teresa about this earlier. Fiona Apple Mm -hmm. has a new album out, and it is fire called Fetch the Bolt Cutters. It got Pitchfork's first perfect 10 out of 10 review in years. Wow. It is crazy wow. sounding. It captures the moment of our current wildness and chaos. It's like if you took Fiona Apple and put her into this like cauldron of post Me Too. And she responds to kind of like, you know, the accusations of her kind of being weird and offbeat and like throws mm-hmm. it back in your face. And is like, you know, you have to grapple with this too. The lyrics are incredible. The sounds are textured. She has five separate dogs credited on the album. <laughs> she also <laughs> used the bones of one of her dogs in a tin that she taps on. I mean, this is the craziest album I've ever heard. What? And I cannot rec- recommend it enough. So check out Fetch the Bolt Cutters. My favorite tracks on it are Ladies... Uh, rack of His, um, I Want You to Love Me, which is the first album and kind of acts as its thesis. It's great, check it out. So Rebecca texted me about this last last week, I think, and then and
1: I kind of told her like I gave up on Fiona Apple after I saw her in concert and she had like a breakdown on stage and I was just like I don't I don't even know what's <laughs> ha- like I don't are these songs I'm not even sure they're songs, and then but. Then Mark Maron also recommended this album and he talked about how good it was. And I was like, this is interesting. If both Rebecca and like 55 year old Mark Maron are. Um, <laughs>
2: are recommending this album, I'm probably going to have to go listen
1: to it. So we actually talked about it on
2: we talked about it on uh, the the NPR show that we all appear on occasionally. We talked Mm -hmm. about that today. And even Colin, who doesn't really like things like this, loved it. So (laughs) it really has appealed to a wide, wide stretch of humanity. But I will tell you right now, it is weird. Like, this is not like easy listening. This is a very she's got a song that's a response to Kavanaugh. I mean, it's it's intense and strange, but very cool. It kind of makes you... Carolyn, actually, I really want to see, like, if you could do, like, an interpretive dance to each one of these songs. It made me want to <laughs> become, like, a really intense contemporary dancer at times. So I challenge uh, is whether it, you, whether take it or not. Yeah. Is it
1: more or less weird than Tori Amos?
2: Oh, it's a different weird. This is, like, a okay. very different album like i i cannot compare it to anything because i've never heard anything that sounds like this before and that's every single track is that way and, and the tracks don't really sound that similar it's good it's just a really interesting good album so check it I out i mean if you're using dog bones i, I have to right know yeah. i know i'm like teresa like, this, gotta... this is for you i got this <laughs> is for you
0: i have got to examine that for sure uh yeah,
1: so what are do are you recommend carolyn
0: Okay, so my, uh, I have been revisiting The Sopranos in uh, quarantine here, and uh, my roommate Alex has never seen it, so it's kind of fun to, like, watch it with him, and um, he's, like, a gay man whose, you know, favorite shows are, like, RuPaul's Drag Race and, like, Will and Grace and stuff, and, you know, he likes things like this, but he's never really, this has not ever been his thing, and so it, but he's, like, totally, like, sucked in, and, uh, it's a really fun revisit for us and I've been talking about Sopranos a lot and um, they just started doing this podcast called Talking Sopranos. Michael Imperioli and I forget the other guy's name. I think it's like Tony Cerrico, um, They ha- Or Steve Sherpa. Sorry. Tony Serico is one of the other actors but um, and they talked about him in it but it's the Steve Sherpa. Um, they are doing a podcast like looking back at the episodes. They're like rewatching the episodes. Mm-hmm. They were both major characters in the show for many seasons and they're like kind of talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff and uh, you know, the making of and kind of like their own experiences as Italian Americans and like comparing it to their characters. And um, it's really, it's such a great companion piece to the Sopranos um, and I actually uh, last year Got to hear um, David Chase, the creator, and um, Steve Buscemi, who was in the show and directed several episodes. I got to hear them speak in New York at an event um, and talk about The Sopranos. So it was really, it's very fascinating because this show was so groundbreaking. We talk about like music being part of a show. The Sopranos is like what I think is the show that defined how to use music in such a an incredible way it was a show where the music like Big Little Lies was a character and just did so much for the series and um, they and and just everything about this show I think is just so brilliant and this podcast is really really fun if you are a Sopranos fan um, and are re-watching the show this is a great or you know you're even just to listen to this podcast is really good. I've so never seen it. High. I like. Oh, you freak need to. I yeah. It. It's always
2: I hit a little too close to home. Like we definitely had some family members on my dad's side. I'm like, okay, uncle Benny, like
0: what do you <laughs> do for a yeah. Day job? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, Tony Soprano is a character who is so complicated because he is so lovable but is a monster. I love James so, Gandolfini too, so I'm sure I will and, love it. Yeah, I mean, and James Gandolfini and um, Lorraine Bracco and Edie yeah, Falco. Yeah, Edie Falco and, is one of my
2: faves. Nurse Jackie, great show. I, yes. Yeah, I love Nurse so
0: Jackie. So I actually would argue a hundred times over that as terrific as she was in Nurse Jackie, she is a hundred times better in The Sopranos because... There's just so many layers. I mean, she, it, it is just, this show is so good and it's just held up so well. Huh. I mean, the early seasons, I think it started in like 98, I wanna say uh and so i i'm on season three right now in my full rewatch and
1: i think we should also mention that that's an hbo show and hbo has made content available to people for free Mm -hmm. on all sorts of so it's
0: free right now you can just binge sopranos for free for the first time ever so you should go do that and listen to this podcast and if you're listening Uh, to
1: this just for little fires everywhere you should also watch yeah. big little lies on hbo and, and then, then go binge back, our podcast, and then go back to the <laughs> first two seasons of this podcast but sorry
0: um yeah and then i was gonna say so my lowbrow is an activity that alex and i have um gotten into a little bit here is uh bingo with shows we have <laughs> for some reason somebody once gave me golden girls bingo <laughs> To watch, Like you watch the episode and play bingo with like certain things that happen mm-hmm. on the show. And I think so right now so many of us are like re-watching comfort shows. Shows that we used to like and still like and like to revisit because it makes us feel good and happy. But why not turn it into a fun gaming experience? Mayhaps with a drinking game. So uh, I know on the internet I did some Googling on the interwebs. And there was basically like bingo for every show that is any sort of like Mm. pop culture uh thing so you can have like bingo for the nanny you can have bingo for uh like I said golden girls I found bingo for cheers bingo for Frasier, bingo for friends like bingo for the office so you can basically find these anywhere people have made them or make your own and it's just a really fun thing to do uh to have like You know, you want to play a game, but you don't really want to have to turn off your TV and get lost in the silence of this existential crisis. Um, You can play bingo (laughs) as your game. Uh, So I highly recommend that. Oh, there's also really good bingo with The Real Housewives, too. Oh, God. Which we know I'm a big fan of. And that bingo is wild.
1: (laughs) Um, I was also going to recommend rewatching something um, as my lowbrow. It seems to be a theme that's going around it's like quarantine <laughs> fever we're all catching we're, we're all catching the rewatch um earlier i was rewatching northern exposure but that is not available on platforms really so i just have like two seasons and they're very short and i have them on dvd so even though i love that show it's not really good for rewatching um so i have now turned back to the gilmore girls um a, In part because I finally convinced my neighbor to watch it. I've been telling her forever that she should watch it. And now she's like super stressed about all things Corona. And this is just like a comfy security blanket of a show. So if you need something to just like help you through quarantine, you know, fire up Netflix and fall in love with Stars Hollow because nothing too bad ever happens there. And frankly, if I had to be quarantined somewhere, I would want it to be Stars Hollow. Um <laughs> and Rebecca's never watched it so I
2: have not. We still you have to talk send about me this. A... your episodes. This is how I got oh, through the right. early seasons of ER. I went through like Slate or Vulture had like their top episodes and that's how I kind of like have been steering my rewatch. So send me which ones I should start with. Okay. Because I, I that was one of those shows where I, I do think years ago I tried to watch the pilot and I was just not mm-hmm. I think the stakes. No,
0: I will say it yeah, again. Yeah, I know. I am mean, gonna
2: never watch the pilot yep.
0: episode. The stakes first. were a little
2: too low for me. But I did like a lot of other shows like that like back in the day. So I feel like I would enjoy it. And I do really I, love. Um. Oh my gosh, what is her name? Heather. What is that? it that?
0: Heather Grant. Uh, Lauren Graham. Graham. Uh, Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I loved
2: Parenthood. I thought that show was fantastic, and she was. I was. In that
1: just saying to my neighbor today that after years of watching lauren graham on gilmore girls and parenthood i think i've like created a pavlovian response to anytime she starts to feel emotion on the screen i just start crying <sighs> like <laughs> if there is anyone who can face act it is lauren graham oh, like yeah. she is amazing she's um, dating peter uh, Krause in real life yeah i know what? yeah
0: isn't that weird also last the last season of curb your enthusiasm she was on and oh. she played larry david's girlfriend in several episodes and it was spectacular um all right i'll give it a try curb your enthusiasm is another thing that if you're gonna like get into an hbo go down an hbo rabbit hole mm-hmm. you may as well take that in too
1: um my slightly higher brow but not all that high brow recommendation is um <laughs> So I, over the past like I don't know two weeks maybe I binged the last season and a half of Ozark. I was behind, oh, but so everybody's good. everybody's been talking Finally about that. it. So I was like, okay, I have to I have to know what's going on here. Um And one, it was that good, but I could also just wa- watch Ruth Langmore. Ruth?
2: Yeah, like Langmore should get her own spinoff. She's yeah, so I would good. watch it.
1: She's the Better Call Saul of that, uh, yep. of that show. We should definitely have just a Ruth show, and she's totally. played by, <laughs> she's played by Julia Garner, also known as the daughter who kills Dirty John. Um, oh yeah. yeah, I was gonna I say mm-hmm. that
0: is like as soon as as soon as I saw her, all I could think of was that. And
1: like if you see both of those roles, all like she. Like, you're just like, this actress should get all the awards if she can play She's these amazing. two characters. Mm-hmm. She
2: is uh, I'd seen her amazing. first as Ruth, and Dirty John blew my mind. I'm like, the range, though. Like, I thought she was just yeah. like this little hick actress. And I'm like, oh, no, she can be Valley mm-hmm. Girl, too. It was great. She's a fantastic yeah. actress. And in this last season of Ozark, too, the um, brother of uh, oh, yeah. Laura Linney's brother who's got bipolar, I thought that was one of the best portrayals of manic depression on television I've seen in a long time
1: yeah and it, it was i i was watching that episode and brian was like sitting in the room i think he was editing the podcast for us and he used to work in the mental health system and dealt oh, yeah. with a lot of people with you know major mental illness and he was just like riveted when that guy was like yep. spiraling
2: yeah i think he's gonna get an emmy for that mm. performance that that was just incredible and i hope she gets mm-hmm. an Emmy too because she, she really was fantastic yeah julia garner i'm definitely a stan yeah
1: Yeah. And Jason Bateman, we don't talk about him that much, but I think he's actually really good on that show. I've started to notice, like, how, like, understated he is. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't tell, like, I'm always, I'm always like, is this, is this just his character is like, so, I don't know, it's almost like,
0: yeah, well, it, it, right. So I I love Arrested Development mm-hmm. and I love Justin Bateman from that. And uh, I had to watch that show the uh um that Stephen King Oh HBO yeah, that was show. The Outsider. Good. The Outsider? I liked it,
1: yeah.
0: I had to watch that for the nose on WNPR and you know, I said how uh Justin, I'm a big Justin Bateman fan and Colin said to me. Did he, oh, he tell you that, that his, his
1: name show? is Jason?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. I'm like calling him his sister. Justine in. is the sister. Guys,
0: I'm, I'm drinking. Me. But anyway, he said that, you know, you should watch Ozark. Mm-hmm. And I had made the mistake back when Ozark came out, is before I developed my uh, fully fleshed out thesis that you do not start with a pilot episode. I attempted to watch the pilot, did not get sucked in, and was like, oh, fuck it. And I never went back. Then, after this, I went back and uh, committed to it. And now I am, like, going through uh Ozark and am in love. And he is phenomenal. He is really... Uh, and it is. It's his, like, understated... It's the same thing that he kind of does in Arrested Development, but in a totally different way, which I think makes him so impressive as an actor. Yeah. Like, he has this... He has a style. Mm-hmm. It's very... It's very distinct to him but he's able to bring it to different characters in different ways and that's well i also think
1: yeah laura linney's great
0: yeah oh well laura linney is just a goddess like she's just i i think one of the best female actresses of our time
1: laura linney when she's being like purposely disingenuine and we're supposed to know that is Mm -hmm. like so amazing but jason bateman his character almost reminds me of did anyone watch the um alex honnold documentary about climbing um el cap
2: yes oh my god that that keeps me up at night
1: but absolutely yes um like because it's like in the face of danger he shows like almost no emotion emotion like he is so even keeled through so much i mean every once in a while it gets bad enough for him to actually break down but it's like
2: he's not a sociopath but that guy alex is absolutely a sociopath
1: yeah he is there's definitely Mm -hmm. like if he hadn't found rock climbing he would definitely be murdering people for fun yeah we'd be doing a
2: podcast about him (laughs) yeah he would be a thrill killer like Um, when he gets to the top of Isle cap and he's and they're like how do you feel and he's like yeah good yeah <laughs> seriously <laughs> this is how you're gonna respond it's crazy I, yeah um it's well the there's our non-sequitur of the day we were bound to find one mm-hmm. yeah. it's uh more fun than dave matthews i band. think
0: this whole episode of this podcast is essentially a non-sequitur it's like <laughs> we kind of talked about the last episode of the show, but the more important things are everything uh-huh. else that well, we have said Well, I do feel
2: like we've been somewhat limited because we are planning to do a book club episode. So if you are yes. interested in hearing all the juicy details between how this finale and other moments of the show have deviated from the source material, we will be coming at you with a book club episode very soon. So stay tuned.
0: I am starting the book first thing tomorrow morning. Good girl. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I am not leaving it till the last minute and binge reading it.
2: <laughs> well,
0: we'll see how it's we'll very see. bingeable,
2: though. I think you're going to find you. It's hard to put down once you get into it. Awesome. Well, um,
1: with that, I think we should probably stop talking before we, you know, go down some sort of um, I don't know, Breaking Bad rabbit hole or something. Um,
2: <laughs> don't tempt me with a good time.
1: <laughs> so, um, so tune in next week
0: for our book club episode.